This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Go back! Hit the buggy! Go back! Hit the buggy! Protesters outside the White House in late June, they were opponents of Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi, who was meeting with President Biden. India, the United Nations says, has passed China and is now the world's most populous country. It has also been long known as the world's biggest democracy. But the protesters in Lafayette Square said that under Modi's nine-year tenure, India is anything but a democracy. Indeed, Modi has been accused of overseeing a backslide in political, religious, and press freedoms. Along with that has been an effort, some critics say, by his BJP, the ruling party in India, to flood Indian media with a torrent of false narratives designed to favor him and his policies and to undermine opponents. There is, of course, another word for these alleged false narratives, disinformation. I'm Paul Brandes, and that's the name of this series, Disinformation. I'll be joined, as usual, by Meredith Wilson, the CEO of Emergent Risk International, who will share her insights into this crucial topic. At a news conference with President Biden during his White House visit, Modi was asked about his government's commitment to free and fair speech. Prime Minister, India has long prided itself as the world's largest democracy, but there are many human rights groups who say that your government has discriminated against religious minorities and sought to silence its critics. Um, as you stand here in the East Room of the White House, where so many world leaders have made commitments to protecting democracy, what steps are you and your government willing to take to improve the rights of Muslims and other minorities in your country and to uphold free speech? I'm actually really surprised that people say so and so. People don't say it. Indeed, India is a democracy. And as uh, President Biden also mentioned, India and America, both countries, democracy is in our DNA. Democracy is our spirit. Democracy runs in our veins. We live democracy. And yet for a country that, to use the prime minister's phrase, lives democracy, there are deep problems. This year, out of 180 countries, India ranked 161st, near the bottom, in the World Press Freedom Index, put out each year by Reporters Without Borders, a Paris-based organization. That 161st ranking is a sharp fall from the year before, when India ranked 142nd. In fact, on the Reporters Without Borders website, India shows up on the map in a deep dark red, along with the likes of Russia, which is 164th, China and Saudi Arabia, countries 
not exactly known for their openness and democratic values. Quick sidebar, by the way, the United States is only ranked 45th. Report says, quote, structural barriers to press freedom persist in this country once considered a model for freedom of expression. But I digress. But India 161st, let's take a deeper look and also ask this question, how does disinformation play a role? So if you, you know, if you look at, across the board at um, freedom of information rankings, you will see that most free countries have, um, have, have dropped in the ratings, including the United States. However, um, India is an extreme example. And um, some of that, a lot of that has come with the, um, you know, with the, the governing party um, being this very Hindu nationalist um, government. It's it's an extreme version of something that's been going on there forever, which is pitting ethnic groups against each other and particularly Hindus and Muslims against each other in politics. Meredith Wilson notes that this is nothing new in India, but what is new is the rise in power of social media, which has made all this even worse. I think the combination of social media, the Internet, in general, um, things like WhatsApp and this party coming to power and the manipulation of all of these things for political power has made it substantially worse than it previously was. So um, is it just the ruling party? Absolutely not. But you have a um, you have an information cycle, too, in India that is trying to think of a nice way to say this, but it's like a hyper cycle. There is just this constant feed of information going around and going around and going around. And so um, it it creates this sort of feedback loop of disinformation that's happening all the time there. Let me repeat the last line of Meredith's comment, quote, it creates this sort of feedback loop of disinformation that's happening all the time there, unquote. Pearl D'Souza, who is Indian and an analyst for Emergent Risk International, thinks that while mis- and disinformation has always existed in India, it has risen to new and disturbing levels since Modi came to power in 2014. It is a huge problem, and uh, it's actually only been increasing. So it's, it's not that it didn't exist before 2014, but since then it's become... Um, much bigger and it seems to it seems to have taken over all spaces of media so social media the press print media all of it so it, it is a big problem especially if like you said we call ourselves one of the biggest democracies and for a functioning democracy that that has become an extremely uh, significant problem well how has this been able to happen i mean it's an open raucous media, privately owned television, radio, privately owned newspapers and so forth. How has it been able to uh, grow so quickly? I mean, what's going on? Well, yes, privately owned, but um, like one of the uh, news channel that was recently launched, the owner of that channel put it, privately owned by far fair and impartial, but with intelligence support to the popular ruling party. So he did say we are, we are by and large impartial, but we provide pro a popular, intelligent support to the ruling party. So what that means is really 
it is privately owned but it is privately owned by friends allies people associated with the ruling party and that has um, that has increasingly become the case in india so even the few organizations that didn't um that were not associated with the government somehow or that dared to question the government they've um, they've seen um, they've seen their offices raided they've seen income tax or enforcement directorate searches and investigations against them and just the level of harassment that is um, there's been like a really really high level of um, harassment so that shrinking space for free press even though it is privately owned but it is privately owned by people who are either supporting the ruling party or supporting a political party in the country uh, that bit has increased alleged harassment raiding offices unleashing the indian equivalent of irs on media organizations this is nasty stuff I'd like to note that I reached out to the Indian ambassador to the US, the top representative of Prime Minister Modi here in Washington, but the ambassador Taranjit Singh Sandhu did not respond. Good afternoon. India's coronavirus pandemic continues to worsen by the day, and now it's hit a grim new milestone. The country has become the first in the world to record more than 400,000 coronavirus infections. That's in just one day. Meantime, as that BBC report noted, the COVID pandemic devastated India. Ask yourself whether it's a coincidence that India just happened to lead the world in COVID misinformation. That's according to a study by Canada's University of Alberta. The study, using data compiled by the Pointer Institute for Media Studies, a respected nonprofit organization that's working to reduce the prevalence of global misinformation, said that more false narratives about the pandemic originated in India than any other country. The US and Brazil were next for whatever that's worth. I mentioned before that false narratives are nothing new in India, but it's demonstrably worse now. Again, here's Meredith Wilson. You know, if you look at, across the board at um freedom of information rankings, you will see that most free countries have um have have dropped in the ratings including the United States. However, um India is an extreme example and um some of that a lot of that has come with the um you know with the the governing party um being this very Hindu nationalist um government. It's it's an extreme version of something that's been going on there forever which is pitting ethnic groups against each other and particularly Hindus and Muslims against each other in politics and you can go back um you know the last 100 years and you can see that this is a you know this is something that's been happening forever but um but i think the combination of social media the internet in general um things like whatsapp and um and this party coming to power and the manipulation of all of these things for political power has made it substantially worse than it previously was so um is it just the ruling party absolutely not but you have a um you have an information cycle too in india that is 
trying to think of a nice way to say this, but it's like a hyper cycle. There is just this constant feed of information going around and going around and going around. And so um, it, it creates this sort of feedback loop of disinformation. More on this after this short break. This series on disinformation is a co-production of Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International, a global risk advisory firm. Emergent Risk International. We build intelligent solutions that find opportunities in a world of risk. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. We tend to think of disinformation in terms of serious things like the pandemic, elections, and so forth. But in India, this sort of maliciousness is getting so ubiquitous that it's even creeped into sports. This looks like a normal cricket match in India. But everything about it is fake. The players, the umpires, the pitch, and even the crowd noise. A gang set up fake Indian Premier League matches to dupe foreign betters. It reached the quarter-final stage before it was busted by local police. This bizarre story is only the latest example of misinformation making headlines in India. Imagine that gamblers hoodwinked by phony cricket matches talk about creative maliciousness. This is nothing less than financial fraud, another form of disinformation. That report from Germany's Deutsche Welle, by the way. And what about artificial intelligence? One of the key points I keep making in this podcast series is that technology is, at its essence, agnostic. Whether it's used for well or ill depends upon the intent of those using it. To that end, logically, a British tech startup using AI to combat disinformation just conducted a study of generative AI and its potential not just for what it calls misuse, but what it calls coordinated misuse. It tested three programs, Midjourney, Dolly 2, and Stable Diffusion, to see whether they would accept prompts related to common mis- and disinformation narratives. In India, of the 30 prompts tested, 27, or 90% of the prompts, were accepted by those platforms. In other words, it was easy, really easy, to generate disinformation. I ran into Logically's head of research, Kyle Walter, at a recent disinformation conference at Cambridge University in England. 
India, we spoke focused specifically on narratives related to kind of religious divisiveness uh, related to claims, again, of election security. So whether the idea of, of ballots being stolen uh, or being transported and being lost, things of that nature. Um, we particularly were trying to create divisive narratives when we were putting the prompts in about India. So we were able to generate images, for example, of a Kashmiri militant in front of an Indian National Congress uh, party flag, right? So that type of stuff is something that has previously in the prior Indian elections been kind of a focus of conversation. So we wanted to see if we could replicate those images or just evidence of those claims using these platforms. You make this sound so easy to do. I mean, um, that's part of the problem, right? A lot of people have access to these platforms and they're able to use them with somewhat unfettered access. That's why we want to advocate for the additional use of more content moderation and for the ability of people to use them, but just use them in a safe way. And since the 2024 campaign year in America is well underway, it logically also tested those three generative platforms to see if they would also create US-oriented election myths or disinformation. The results were equally disturbing to generate false narratives were created nine out of every 10 times. Our election, as you know, is just 15 months away. The hope is that, you know, early enough warning, so this is what, July of 2023, uh, we've got hopefully, you know, a little over a year, obviously, until the election, but the election cycle will start much sooner than then. Um, but the goal here is, you know, not to put negative light on these platforms or to kind of create a hysteria over it, but just to flag the potential that there are gaps that are being missed at the moment so we can address them early enough to have an actual impact ahead of these elections. Perhaps, but given our election timetable, the speed of these generative technologies, their ease of use and their rapid adoption rate, it all suggests that doing anything meaningful to reduce the potential for harm and deception seems low. I hate to be pessimistic and hope to be proven wrong. Have a tip, idea, or example of disinformation you'd like us to check out? Contact me, pbrandis at gmail.com. That's P-B-R-A-N-D-U-S at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks to Pearl D'Souza and Kyle Walter for their insights. Sound from the BBC and Deutsche Welle. Our sound designer and editor, Noah Fouts. Audio engineer, Nathan Corson. Executive producers, Michael D'Aloya and Gerardo Orlando. And on behalf of Meredith Wilson, I'm Paul Brandis. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present, if you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.